Hello, and welcome to the Girl Tries Life podcast, where we give you tangible, actionable tips to help you lead your best life, and we inspire you with interviews from real women doing really exciting things in the world. We are on episode number 26, and today's interviewee is Sarah G. Schmidt. So Sarah is the owner, founder, and stylist of It by Sarah G. Schmidt, Inc. She lives in Calgary, Alberta. When not styling, shopping, or blogging, Sarah can be found indulging in and challenging pop culture or out and about in her bustling home neighborhood of Hillhurst. Sarah and I have known each other for a while through our professional lives, and I always knew that she was a personal stylist in her side life. It wasn't her full-time job at the time. Since then, it has become her career. It includes closet auditing, personal shopping, wardrobe styling, home styling, and more. And the thing I love about Sarah's blog is it isn't just a how-to, this what, you know, wear these five things this spring or whatnot. She's not just talking about trends, but she's actually making, she actually has true commentary on style and fashion, how it links into politics and diversity. And, and that really came out in this interview. We, we didn't just talk style. We talked diversity. We talked feminism. We talked finding your passion and creating that career that you love and what living your best life meant means to Sarah. So it was a really exciting conversation. Whether or not you are passionate about fashion as such, I do think you will get a lot out of this interview. So show notes for today's episode can be found at www.girltrieslife.com forward slash podcast forward slash 2626. So without further ado, let's head over to the interview. Well, thank you, Sarah, for joining the Girl Tries Life podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It is absolutely no shocker that you look stunning today and very fashionable. So I'm hoping you could tell us a little bit about where your passion for fashion and style came from. I I think um, when I look back, it's easier to kind of look back than when you're in the moment. But some of my earliest memories as a, as a child was was clothing. So whether it was what I was wearing or feeling, like I actually have this memory where I was feeling my skirt as a little kid. And uh, I don't know if anybody else, like when you were a kid, do you have any memories of like somebody wearing something? I have memories of like my favorite outfit as a kid. As a kid that you wore or somebody else? That I wore. What was it? Okay. So I thought it was really cool at the time. It was like leggings and the big t-shirt with the belts. Oh yeah. I was a 90s child pretty much. So yeah, I didn't, it's not cool by any stretch of the imagination, but I thought it was. It doesn't matter. It only matters that you think it's cool. Yeah. So I, I have, I have dozens and dozens of those. I remember what I wore every school picture. I remember what I wore at Christmas. I remember what the church lady wore, what my grandpa would wear. Like I've always kind of had a visual memory catcher of that and always yeah. been really kind of fascinated. So like when I was a young kind of, I guess that tween teenage, I loved getting fashion magazines and taking like a utility knife and taking out the ads and putting them on my walls and, and all that kind of stuff. So I always had that around. And my mom's a seamstress, so that kind of helped oh, cool. too. So I always kind of watched the form and function and I loved watching client fittings. So the clients kind of got to know me and sometimes they'd let me, you know, after they were changed, come in and see. I loved that part. Then, like in my late teens, people had asked me to come along shopping with them. And in university, you know, Sarah, help me pick this out or or do that. So then um, after a while, I kind of thought, hey, I love this. I've always kind of done it. Why don't I actually 
do this, like do it as a, as a job and see if I can make some income at it. So it was a culmination of things that seemed so, when you, when you look back, it seems so obvious, but it was truly an aha moment at about, I don't know, four, four or so years ago. I was like, Oh, I should do this. So yeah, it was a, it was a bit of a snowball. Yeah. That's awesome. I had no idea your mom was a seamstress. That's yeah. really cool. Yeah, yeah, she, it is really cool. Has she made clothes for you? She like, did. So she would, um, when I was little, any kind of special occasions, whether it was like a Christmas dress or I have a huge family, so there was like a wedding or a graduation pretty much every year. My um, Halloween costume, I could always pick whatever I wanted. And then, you know, these late years, it'll be something quite special. She'll find some fabric and say, I bought it. What should we do with this? Or like right now, I really want a long smoking jacket in some sort of a velvet with an ornate silk on the inside. So I have this vision of this coat. But it might take us five or ten years to find the fabric and yeah. to find it and, and figure it out so she's she's very generous she'll she'll do some stuff for me she probably does when I was little she would do tons of garments you know like we were the family that had like the matching windbreakers but they were my mom made them yeah. right and any kind of musical theater costumes and stuff like that she always made that kind of stuff so when we were kids you know I kind of took it for granted for how much custom stuff she would make yeah. for us and some of it was hilarious right like neon vests and all that kind of stuff but um yeah i think uh in the past few years it's it's a garment or two a year that we'll kind of cook up together that's awesome yeah i'm hoping to chat a little bit about what everything is involved in in being a stylist because you don't just take do personal shopping you do a whole gamut of things what does that look like yeah and everyone's a little bit different i think people play to kind of their strengths and where their clients are and and hopefully what they enjoy but for me, um, yeah, exactly. It could be personal shopping. Say a client has an event that they're going to. A lot of the time it'll be maybe they're, you know, a wedding guest or maybe they've got some big day at work where they're getting their picture taken yeah. and, you know, they want to look look good for that. Or, or sometimes it's kind of like a special night with their loved one, whether that's date night or, yeah. or something. They're trying to put together a specific look. I've also done, um, on the corporate side, you can do things, I guess it's maybe more editorial, where somebody from the creative community, be a photographer or makeup artist, they've got this concept Mm -hmm. and they want clothing to fit the part for that particular concept or the model. So sometimes you're dressing a model for a creative project. And sometimes those get submitted to magazines, sometimes they're to build portfolios, sometimes it's a model trying to build their own portfolio. So that one's kind of more collaborative work with other creatives uh, to pull something off. I've done things where dressing people for a TV commercial or film where they're wanting to look a specific part. So girl next door. What does a girl next door wear as opposed to maybe what you would use on a a film set or something like that, like a a character arc. You know, one day I hope to do some more of that. But, um, you know, it can be for a one day thing or it can be for an entire character. Other times it's just getting into the closet. I think people are keen to go shopping first. That's what they think. I have nothing to wear. Let's go shopping. Whereas I'm like, I've got nothing to wear. Well, let's start in the closet first. Because yeah. a lot of the time, it's um, you can use something you've already got. You maybe just hadn't thought of how yeah. to wear it or wear it in a new way. Or maybe maybe you've got a favorite dress and maybe all you need to do is get a new little clutch or maybe a pair of shoes to yeah. kind of spice up what you've got. Um, and other times, people just need to purge and edit, whether it's a body change or a life change or a phase change or a fatigue or or whatever there's some usually some sort of life moment that triggers mm-hmm. it and then you've got this urge to to get things in order 
Yeah, and then the other kind of times, the other things that I do is try to provide a point of view on fashion or current events or what's happening in the fashion world that trickles more into society than maybe people give it credit for. So I'm always curious to see the stories, kind of what's behind fashion, what's behind um, what's going on in the world and how people use it as a tool. Yeah, you do a lot of that on your blog. Yeah. Which is fantastic. Do you want to tell people a little bit about the blog and what kinds sure. of things you cover? Sure. So that's that's pretty much it, is I always try to find the societal issues within fashion. I think there's a lot of really excellent coverage on on trends and how to do that or how to wear things. And that's all super valid and super important. But the things that get me going is... You know, the business deals behind the fashion when, you know, a house buys out a brand or a brand pulls away from a house or ethics behind fashion, whether that's diversity, maybe that's where the clothes are being made, under what circumstances, how are their workers being treated. Um, some brands choose to use animal products, some don't. And for some people, that's that's interesting or that's important to, to their values. So, and then oftentimes it can create conversations. You know, people can wear like a t-shirt and people can get excited about that particular subject, good or bad. So, mm. uh, and then things like sports, people don't think about the jerseys that people wear, or what they put on, or their icons that are actually way more intentional than just a jersey, right? Yeah. Like they can be so loaded. Some of them super, super racist. Some of them are just like hideous color combos, and some of them are so wrong that it's right color combos. So I think there's there's un, there's there's things that people just aren't looking at that I find really curious. So I try to just bring a little bit of light and, and it's what I'm interested in. Yeah. So I like to write about things that I'm curious about and can maybe give a point of view that people haven't heard before. No, it's interesting you're talking about sports because that's not something I would have really connected with on the fashion side before. But then like Nike are coming out with the hijab and yeah, like, that's really an that's, interesting. Yeah. Well, it's super intersectional. It's, it's so required. It seems, well, yeah. duh, of course, Muslim women would want to do sports too while yeah. keeping keeping their values intact. It makes so much sense, but it, it it's quite a speaking piece. And well, I think anything that you put on your body is, is clothing and some of it can be fashion. Fashion is just a fancy word for something that we deem attractive. Whereas I think style is, is individualistic, how a person puts that together, what they choose to put on their body, as opposed to um, just putting something on. You know, a school uniform could maybe be fashionable, but how they wear their socks and maybe hitch their skirt or roll up their sleeves, that's personal style. So what is the, what do you feel is the importance of personal style? Why, why should people or shouldn't they have it? Wow. So <laughs> I know I'm biased, of course. Yeah. Um, this is kind of um, what I love to do and what gets me going and spins my head around. But I think it's so, so, so huge. It creates like an instant, an instant communication on people. So I've read somewhere that an, an first, what is that? Like a first opinion or a first impression of people happens within a half a second to 10 seconds. So you, most of the time you haven't even opened your mouth yet. So they don't know if you're well-spoken or anything like that. So I think I'm so interested in what people choose to put out there. Because I think people maybe underestimate how important or how maybe not important but how how impactful it can be so i'm not a big proponent of saying everyone must wear suits or everyone must work casual wear or whatever that's not me i think it's important that you know sarah myself 
when I get dressed in the morning, it's a reflection of who I want to communicate to the world. No different than you are going to have a different vibe and a different kind of look, but I would hope that it's authentic to you. So that way, you know, if people see you in that split second, it's absolutely Victoria or it's absolutely Sarah. So I'm, I'm, I'm huge on it. I think it's one of the first ways to kind of break any kind of barriers to make you look the part. And a lot of the time, look the part is depending on where you are. But I would imagine that's a huge challenge that a lot of your clients face. Cause I know like for me personally, I have a, I have a kind of style that I love or the certain outfits that I feel great in, but they're more casual and I struggle with workwear to have, to reflect that style. Sure. Like, do like, sure. is that something that your clients yeah, struggle with? Of course it is. Of course it is. I think, um, there's one area, maybe it's casual wear, maybe it's sports wear. Some people, maybe they identify with golf culture or tennis culture and they, yeah. they really feel like themselves. And yeah, they struggle pulling it into other areas. It's no different than, than me. Like, I know how to turn the water valve off for a water supply, for plumbing, for, you know, the washroom. That's it. So I know one part of it, whereas I need to hire an expert to come in and do the rest of it yeah. to kind of help you get there. So um, that's what I try to do with my clients is is figure out where they feel really good about themselves, things that fit and flatter them and they feel good in them. How can we pull that through to other areas of their life? Do you feel like fast fashion is kind of does people a disservice at times? Because I feel so from like when I go to the mall, you yeah, know, I'm shopping in a certain price range, like sure. affordable fashion. Sure. And, you know, it's not always going to have the best fit or the it's not always the best fit or the most flattering or whatnot, but you're so overwhelmed by what you see on the racks that you don't know where to start. Sure. And so, and you often end up, I think people often end up getting more cheap stuff instead of fewer quality pieces because yeah. they're intimidated. Yeah. I think, um, like anything, there's got pros and cons to it. And to me, it matters what that particular client feels. So if I have a client that um, is really interested in ethical sourcing and work conditions, we're going to maybe stay away from certain brands. Maybe I'm going to recommend that they shop local or, or try to find them some places online that I know kind of pass some, some ethical standards. Whereas another person might be more budget focused and that's their key driver. So we're going to try to do the best. Maybe that's fast fashion. Maybe that's checking out the sales racks in stores. Maybe that's discount department. Maybe that's secondhand. So buying mm -hmm. clothes, that either consigned or at thrift stores or secondhand stores that can really get their budget for for a buck, like, you know, can can stretch their budget a little further. But as to like the FOMO, I think that's that's it's just true of our society. We're inundated with so many choices across so many platforms that yeah, when you go into a store like Zara or H and M or Topshop or whatever, there's just so much yeah. choice. And you feel like, yeah, you need to buy a few things. So I think if people would take a step back, like ideally, if I could have my unicorn kind of process, it would be, let's get in your closet first. That's going to help me understand who you are and what your life encompasses. Because, you know, say somebody works in a hospital where they wear scrubs every day. We don't need to worry about the workwear. We maybe need to make sure that they've got proper shoes to get them through those crazy 12-hour shifts. But their workwear needs are going to be completely different than somebody who works in an office, as opposed to somebody who works, you know, in a trade, whereas they're going to need actual workwear stuff. So um, I say get in the closet first. 
figure out, you know, how many black sweaters of the same cut you have and, and, and understand a little bit more about why you gravitate towards those pieces. So that way, when you go shopping, you're going to be a lot more mindful, I think, by kind of cleaning up what you've got first, then going shopping according to whatever budget you, you have and aligning that with if you've got any values or principles that you want to adhere to. Totally. You know, like not everybody's going to want to wear leather where some people love to wear leather. So it's so individual. I think, um, I think what's important is figuring out what's important to you because that can really help a stylist or a personal shopper zone in on what's going to work for you. My head just went to a weird place when you were talking about the leather because I have this 20 euro bought it in France fake leather jacket that I love to pieces. And it's one of those things where like, what do you do when your favorite pieces, you've worn them to death and you need to replace? Like, oh, it's, it's actually heartbreaking at times when it's been such a yeah. part of your style and your identity almost. I wrote a post about it one Did time. You? I had a pair of heels that, like, I had them resold. And I went back to my my shoe person and I was like, can you do them again? She's like, you are going to bust your Achilles heel one of these times. So, yeah, it's so sad retiring a piece, especially if you haven't found something to replace it. Usually what I suggest is, yeah, when they start to have a little bit of wear and tear, you kind of put that at the top of the list for replacement items. But knowing, you know, like a leather or pleather or vegan jacket, that item can take years to find, right? It's kind of, uh, it's kind of like the, the ideal pair of black pants. Like yeah. those can be a tricky thing to find. I don't know. And I, I try not to force it too much. So if you've got something to replace it, get rid of it and 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 I understand keeping it until you do find a replacement. Oh, I'm gonna be so sad when that. Or worst case, dies. like you could you could go to uh, a seamstress, and they True. could rip it apart and make a new. Um, they can make a new uh, pattern based on it, and then you could put whatever, whatever if you want vegan leather suede, whatever you want, or maybe you want to do it in a cotton or a linen or something. You can go get a seamstress to do that for you. It's gonna That's cost a cool you. Idea. But it's going to be custom. It's going to be exactly yeah. fit to your body, and you're probably going to have it for 20 years. That's awesome. Great idea. What are some of the... We talked about a couple of them, but what are the common challenges that your clients face? Like, they come for special events, but what... Like, I almost feel like being a personal stylist, like, you you almost have a window into their mind like a therapist. Oh, sure. Like, um, especially when you get into a closet and you actually start touching the garments and you ask a little bit about why they like or dislike the garment, it's usually related to a life story. And that's the part where, that's the stuff I really like is, and a lot of those times those memories are lovely and a lot of those times those memories are really painful. And I think, you know, kind of as a society, we're really, really good at beating ourselves up, especially women. We're, you know, inundated with all of this information from the media and then our own families, like, have you ever been home for Christmas and your grandma goes, oh, you're too skinny or oh, you're too, you look like you're putting on the weight there. So. Mm-hmm. Like we get it twofold by the people that are supposed to love us the most. And uh, we get inundated with like the people that want our money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they show you kind of like one or two body types and one or like one skin color and you go, oh, okay. But you get lambasted with it. That you can't really, you can't really see the forest from the tree. So I think it's a little bit of that overload. And I think it's a little bit about assuming that you're the issue. You're totally not the issue. There are so many stores. There hasn't been a body that I haven't been able to find some fit or flattering clothes for to make them feel good. The garment's the issue. So if you try on a garment and it does nothing for you, put it back. 
Especially if you're going to spend money on it. It's so... It blows my mind that people would pay for a garment that makes them feel bad about themselves. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. The garment's the issue. Your body is not the issue. So sometimes yeah. we have to do a little bit of rewiring with the head. So even with some clients, I'll take them shopping. And if they have a different body type than mine, I'll put something on me. Just throw it on. That a color that I know is going to make me look like garbage. Or a, a cut that's not particularly flattering for my body type. And then I think their mind kind of starts to open like, oh... There's no one type that looks good in everything. And there's not all the garments look good on everyone. It's not about that. It's about finding ones that make you feel good. But it's a bit of a, it's a bit of a hurdle and it's a bit of a rewire to, to, to make, to put yourself and your body first and find things that flatter it rather than the other way around. So I would imagine then if you're going through people's closets, if they've got stuff that doesn't flatter them, you just tell them get rid Yes, I don't tell them to do anything. I think by picking up the garment or putting it on themselves and them talking through it, a lot of the times, if I'm hearing a lot of negative talk um, and they're not ready to put the garment, I'll say, why don't we come back to this? Let's put it in the pile. We'll come back to it. Another thing that people are really, really diligent about keeping is their grubby at home t-shirts or pants. Like I'm like, okay, maybe you need to. You know, like everyone's like, oh, I use that for painting. Yeah. How many times have you painted in the past five years? (laughs) Once. Okay, well, then maybe you need one painting grubby shirt or one grubby pair of work jeans. Totally. Absolutely. You need stuff to garden or whatever it is. But I think people really hold on to things. So usually what I do is if, and it's what they tell me. It's not for me to judge a garment. If they love it and it fits and it's in good condition, awesome. But I sometimes just put it on a maybe pile. Yeah. And then maybe there's, I don't know, a dozen, 10 garments there. We go back through it and they will by themselves get rid of a half at least. So it's just a matter of kind of putting a mirror up. I'm not there to judge them. I'm not there to tell them what to do. I'm simply there to reflect back what they've already told me. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And it's interesting what you were talking earlier about life changes. Because as, as yeah. someone who has recently had a baby, like my body is just different. It's going to be I different. I yeah. don't know if it's going to get back to where it was. Yeah. And and the needs are different. And you're kind of a little like, oh, do I have to start with my wardrobe from scratch kind of thing? Or what? And I know a lot of moms, for example, that first six months, it usually you know, you're wearing whatever fits and I think it takes a huge toll on your self-esteem because often what fits doesn't make you feel, doesn't always make you feel good about yourself. So I think a lot of new moms really struggle with that. Yeah. And I think, I think it's give yourself a break, especially if that's a temporary kind of thing. And depending on your lifestyle, you know, if, if you're maybe going back to work in those times and you need to look a certain way, yeah, maybe we need to find you some pieces of clothing that are in between your former body, body your existing body, and whatever it's going to turn into. Because yeah. it, it does change. But if, you, if you're staying home and you're working from the home, you can have get away with a more casual thing. I'm all for, if you've got six items that fit you, wear those six items on repeat, launder them, and just give yourself a little bit of a break. Yes, of course you want to look good. And if you want to go out, you want to have something that you can go out and feel good in. But give yourself a break and tell yourself that this is temporary. Um, a lot of the times what I recommend doing is if it, if you see something that you used to wear and love and fits you and maybe it's just not fitting you right now, maybe put it in a box. Put it in another room so you don't have that daily heartbreak looking at you in that closet. And then come back to that, that box of garments every six months or so and say, 
hey, maybe I'm ready to look through this or not. And and once things from your body have settled down or or maybe maybe you're just curious about it, I, I tend to try to do that. So don't beat yourself up every day. Don't don't be what is that like when you're like a masochist? Masochist? Yeah. Masochist or whatever <laughs> what it is. I think um yeah, I think it's really important to, to give yourself a break and set yourself up for success. So if that's removing some garments or putting them to the side of your closet and focusing on what works, cool. You don't have to get rid of them. Come back to them a little later. You had talked earlier about diversity in fashion. And yeah. you did that blog post on the Vogue cover that was oh. um, <laughs> oh. the diversity issue. Yeah. You want to talk to us about that? Sure. Um, this is so, so important to me. So my friends... Uh, Friends and loved ones, they know like my hot buttons and uh, this is one that they can push and they know that I can go off on a bit of a thing. But I think <laughs> like there's something that stuck with me. I heard it a few years ago. I think it was a doctor, a psychologist of some sort. And it was, I think it was uh, a woman of color. It might've even been Lupita uh, Nongo, who she was interviewed in Vogue and she's like one of the only, uh, I think she's English, so African English women to be on the cover of Vogue and you know it's just luminous it's so exciting but she said something along the lines or her doctor said something along the lines of young people in order for people to kind of have goals and stuff like that young people need to have role models that look like them so so I was so fortunate as a a young child I had tons of choices of of role models male and female mostly probably female to identify with that I kind of looked like and I could see myself doing that. But imagine all of the little kids out there that don't have anyone to look up to. So if you can't see yourself in that life, how are you going to work towards that life? Because you're shown all these pictures that there's no place for you. So I think it's so, so important, like, just from like a statistical point of view, that like, if you're a Canadian magazine, your content should reflect Canadian citizens. So if that means having a representation of visible minorities, our, our First Nations populations, uh, black people, whatever that is, showing, showing people that they belong and that they're celebrated is huge. So when Vogue, for instance, shows seven models and they're like within three Pantone colors of each other and they're all modeled the exact same and posed in the exact same way, you're showing me same. You're not showing me that diversity and variety is beautiful you're telling me that same is beautiful, right? So I'm not for that at all. Sameness bores me, yeah. absolutely bores me. If nothing else, if you, would take, if you would take background and ethnicity and size out of it, which I guess means it's all the same, it's just boring, right? And we know, like especially true now, how dangerous groupthink and sameness can be if it, it can fuel hate. And it can distance people who are different. So it's just, it's just, it's just so, so important to celebrate the differences in size, shape, color, and position it as beautiful because it is. Like you think of a little kid in a crayon box. If they're always peach crayons, that's the only crayon they have, and they're all boring, right? Yeah. Like I think life's a little bit better with with uh, with differences. Are there any designers or websites or magazines that you think are doing diversity well? Um, there was an article saying that um, this spring fashion week, so the calendar usually goes, if I have this right, it goes New York, London, Milan, Paris. That's usually like the calendars. And they said that this, these collections over the months of February and March were the most, most diverse models. So that's great. 
but we have to break that down because what we think of diversity kind of differs. So sometimes that's inclusive of size, sometimes that's inclusive of age, sometimes that isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's making steps forward. Uh, I think um, some really kind of thoughtful magazines or, or sources that I like is I like uh, WWD and I like Business of Fashion because they're kind of interested in those kind of numbers too. Uh, Vogue usually, well, they kind of get... They sometimes do it well, and they sometimes do it not so well. They kind of get skewered for that, rightly so, if they're not doing it. Um, so, but there's been, I've seen a lot more articles. There's a lot more press on it. So whoever's doing the coverage, that's kind of a kind of a, a hot button. So yeah. people are really looking for it. I'm trying to think of a brand. I can't remember. It was a few years ago, but they had some of the, some of the women from Stomp. I think there were some men, too. And they, you know, like they do with the drums yeah. with like, uh, like garbage, anything. Yeah. Or, they yeah. kind of use, they make drums without an actual drum and they had all these different body types, all these different backgrounds and like super, super strong. Cause that drumming is so intense and so powerful. So that was kind of cool. That kind of kept it to mind. I know Kanye one year, Kanye West, he only, he only used black models. And in the past season, there was one woman who, um, she's a Muslim Muslim model and she's one of the first to wear hijab on the runway and she and she's just like blowing up because like beautiful is beautiful right yeah. her face and her body is just stunning right so why shouldn't she wear a scarf if if that makes sense to her I think it's I think it's it's getting there it's definitely a topic of discussion and people are are um always checking and balancing against it I don't think it's where it needs to be but progress is progress I'll take it I mean, maybe this is kind of a more mainstream thing, but I know for for someone like me with a few more curves, like seeing a model like Ashley Graham is really kind of exciting. Awesome. Yeah. She's such a a babe, and she's so confident, I think, in that she was one of the women included in the Vogue cover. So I appreciate that. Great. And, like, I think uh, she was on Swimsuit, uh, Sports Sports Illustrated, Illustrated. Swimsuit Edition. Great, you know? She's she's one woman, so that's yeah. great. If she can open the door for other um, curvier models to come in, why not? I think, I think the average American woman is over a plus, is over a size twelve. So the majority of women in America are over size twelve. So there's a like from a business perspective, there is a huge huge market out there for for women that are underserved that presumably want to buy clothes just like anybody else so which is why it blows my mind that all you see is undersized the majority of what you see is undersized yeah like that's why it absolutely blows my mind because i'm like we have money to spend (laughs) i just don't know what we want to spend it on because you're not showing me it's the same thing with representation if you're not showing me somebody who kind of looks like me it's really hard for you to imagine yourself in that particular thing i do know in france there are advertising standards there. If they have a, a, I don't know how they dictate what the rule is, but if they have a model that appears to be too thin to the point of um, um, perhaps a, a, an eating or body disorder, they'll pull that. So that's kind of cool that I they're think only kind of. Spain kinda... do that as well. Yeah, I maybe. Feel like I, I have to that look into in that. Like Spanish fashion, I, I'm pretty sure I heard right. that. In a and I don't know, like Canadian Coco Rocha, she's a huge, like she's super huge model. And she was, she was getting flack for her body size. And I think she's a two or a four. Mm -hmm. And she said, and she was, I'm not exactly sure what the critiques that she was getting, but it was about her body. And she said like, no. So she's 
trying to be a little bit more um, a voice for body positivity. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so I was wanting to touch a little, I and mean, we kind of talked about this a bit so far, but how fashion as it relates to politics and activism and what's going on in the world. Like my, my brain immediately goes to the pussy hats. Um, but I'm sure you see totally, but I'm sure you see tons of other representations yeah. of it. Yeah. So like if I can think kind of chronologically, you know, men used to wear skirts and then pants became a three piece item. So leg, leg, um, torso kind of area put it all together but okay so there's all of that medieval kind of stuff you're thinking about that but kind of like more recent times the suffrage movement they were white so they wore a ton of white when they were doing any kind of march or any kind of political statement and that kind of unified them and um, a lot of people in the democratic party for the recent 2016 uh, campaign a lot of the the clinton supporters in the democratic party they wore white to events so they pulled back you know iconography image imagery from the past to show their support in modern times so um yeah exactly wearing pink those hats or pink or red on those days and you know any kind of teachers out there they can think about you know anti-bullying day what color do you wear or for um showing gay pride perhaps you wear rainbows or certain colors so i think it's always had a role and you can always it's it's an interesting way because even if you think about it, like politics or, or any kind of unification, going back to sports teams, they wear the same, they wear the same thing. Baseball teams have to wear the same things or dancers or any kind of uniform kind of thing. Costumes, the clothing they wear is such a huge tool. And then if you actually want to think about, if you want to get right into like, you know, riding and being political, like the band, you know, a tribe called Red? Yeah. Yeah. So they wore this shirt where they had, it was a mock t-shirt and essentially it had a generic kind of sports team, but it was called the Caucasians and it had like a caricature of a white person. So the Caucasians and they wore it on one of their performances and they got this huge amount of backlash from like obviously white males getting super angry about it. But they said, you know, this is in support of like a bunch of sports teams that are absolutely ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So Washington's NFL team, unacceptable. Edmonton's CFL team, unacceptable. What about, um, what is that team down in, uh, there's a baseball team too that's just absolutely, Atlanta. Like, no way. And I don't, I refuse yeah. to say the names because I don't want to give any, yeah. any credence to that. But even to, my high school though, I remember like they're, like it was not appropriate. Yeah, and you think like, how can you lump peoples or certain peoples in with, you know, colors, animals, like those are caricatures and you lump peoples into that and you think that that's okay. And then there's like multiple petitions saying, hey, no, this isn't okay. And they go ahead and do it anyway. So I really like that. So they just wore a silly t-shirt showing them how ridiculous it is to use a, a group of people as a race as a sports team, you know, to kind of create a little bit of awareness and it kicked up some dust and made people think about things a little bit. Yeah. And then I always love things that are gender bendy, like Marc Jacobs and... Alexander McQueen in the 90s sh sh show men in kilts and, and skirts. And, and I think I saw something about uh, Chanel is unveiling a unisex bag. Because what does yeah. it matter? It's a bag. It's not a man purse or a woman purse. Like, what, what is that yeah. anyway? So I think, and something else that I think about is, 
is, you know, it doesn't always have to be negative. It can be super positive. Think about people that wear the ribbons on their lapels to support something. Or in November, we wear poppies to show our respect for for veterans and, and remembering their efforts. So it doesn't all have to be negative or a a political statement though maybe at the time it is incredibly political Mm -hmm. so i hope you know the spring collections i don't know how many dior did the we should all be feminist t-shirts you know i think there's a lot of things happening where celebrities and models and brands are using their profile to draw attention to causes that are dear to their heart which is awesome and it's like it's like literally wearing your heart on your sleeve so like that's the modern day expression of it like this is what i care about so it's interesting because you're obviously drawing attention to an issue, but by wearing it, you're drawing attention to yourself. I don't think anybody thinks about it lightly, but make sure you know the history and the cause behind the iconography that you're using just to make sure that you're aligned with it. Because yeah. like, what was it a couple of years ago? I think Cameron Diaz was wearing a bag that had a bright red star and she didn't know that it was like the sign for Chinese communism and she was wearing it somewhere in like South America. You know, when they used yeah. to take like MTV would take them on tours. And she had no idea. She had no idea what she was doing. She apologized, but she thought she was just like having a bag with a cool star on it. She yeah. didn't realize how insulting. And um, the message that it was conveying, she didn't even know, and she was wearing it. So I think yeah. that's a pretty avoidable mistake. It's funny, when you were talking about the feminist, it's got me thinking my... F- I mean, this is baby fashion we're talking about. Baby but my fashion. Fr- my friend got a onesie for my son before he was born, so we didn't know if it was going to be a boy or girl. Yeah. And it was just a black onesie that says in gold, this is what a feminist looks like. And she's like, it doesn't matter if he's a bo- if it's a boy or a girl. Totally. I like, I love it. Totally. So- well, I think, just a refresher for anybody out there, like, feminism means equality. Equality yeah. for socio economical voting rights, that type of thing. So essentially what that means is in like practical sense women women in the past and even now don't get choice so it's about giving people choice giving women choice so yeah it wouldn't matter your gender you would think a child would want the women in their life to be able to have a choice that's it yeah we had him wear it the night of uh, the u.s election which obviously (laughs) didn't go as i thought it would but um hey such is life. You uh, you got to show up in the tough times and the good times, right? Yeah, for sure. So is uh, we've kind of talked about most of the main questions. Is there anything else you're sure? Anything else you're wanting to cover that's really important to you? I think I think the most important thing to me is that you know there's so few of us. There's there are awesome people that really truly don't care what people think. Don't care how they're interpreted. Have no interest in that. So for the people that do care about what messages they're putting out there, I think taking a little bit of time to figure out how you how you want to be seen and what messages you want to convey and how your clothing can do a ton of legwork in that, I think that's really important. If you're not interested in it, good for you. Like, awesome. But if you are interested in it, um, take a little bit of time to figure out what you value and how you can incorporate that in yeah. how you put yourself together. And if it's wearing... The same few things day after day, awesome. If you need more variety and you, you need to have a few more things, great. If you're somewhere in between, great. There's no, there's nothing, there's no right or wrong, unless it's like hate messages, of yeah. course. But there's no right or wrong. It's, it should be an individual expression of who you are. No yeah. different than 
how you would put a resume together or how you would decorate your home or the gifts you give to people or the words you choose to use, your language and, and anything like that. I think it's just, it's just one of another tools to show people who you are. One of the questions that we had from a listener was sort of what are the key pieces to have in your wardrobe? I think she was looking very much for like a how-to guide. Uh, and that's a question that I love and I'm very challenged by because how can I answer that without knowing the person's life? Like the five pieces I would recommend to a medical professional would be completely different than the five pieces I would recommend to uh, somebody that works in professional services, right? You know, like it's, it's totally different or uh, the five pieces I would recommend for somebody in a career versus five pieces I would recommend for somebody who's just retired and spends their days with more leisure activities, maybe physical fitness or maybe they volunteer or something. They're completely different. So I think things like pants, shirts, <laughs> a jacket, you yeah. know, just super things. But yeah, it's one of those questions that I think no different than if, if it's not necessarily your strength, you just want to figure out how you can kind of get along and get on with it. But it's one of those questions that I think is, is, as unique as the individual. And that's, yeah. that's really what I would want to focus on is, okay, let's, let's talk about it for a little bit and yeah. figure out what you have so we can figure out where the gaps are according to your life. Well, and there's this whole thing with capsule wardrobes on like, Oh, it's a fancy right word. And, yeah. yeah. It's a fancy word for uh, minimalist. So, uh, and like anything else, there's misinterpretations in my opinion. I should caveat that. Um, capsule essentially just means you pick X amount of items, be it 20, 30, 50, 70, and that's it. So you base your entire wardrobe. So that's clothes, shoes, jackets, undergarments. You, you base it on that. And the idea, the basic idea is that everything goes with everything. So you don't waste any time going, is this a mismatch? And the idea of kind of having a uniform specific to you. So not literally a uniform, like a school uniform or, or you know, your go-to hospital, but yeah, go-to. So an example of, of one that he would probably, he wouldn't identify himself as a capsule wardrobe. But one of my colleagues in advertising, he was a designer and he wore like a, like a crew neck kind of turtleneck, dark shirt, a sports coat and dark jeans and dress shoes every day. So I think he maybe had four or five pairs of jeans, maybe two or three sports coats and I don't know, half a dozen shirts, but he kind of, he just, he always looked tidy. He always looked clean, but it was kind of his go-to. Yeah. So he didn't stress out in the morning thinking about what am I going to wear today? And yet he was always appropriate because he was in a creative environment, yeah. but he always had a coat on. He had yeah. a sports coat and dark wash jeans, clean, a clean shirt that isn't revealing. You don't see any chest hair or anything like that for a gentleman. So that's a super, super specific example. Another article I read was about, uh, it was another gal in creative services. I think she, I couldn't remember her role. She wasn't client facing, but she she would have had some client interaction, so she must have been a creative. And um, she wore black pants and a white blouse every day. So she had a couple different pairs of black pants. I think half a dozen white blouses. That's it. So she kept it, and she felt great in it. That's the thing is, I express myself through my clothes so much that I I would find that very challenging. But I think for people that tell me, I just want to look good. I don't want to think about it. I just want to put it on and go, I would really, really encourage you to look at that type of thing. And I think Pinterest can be a little too trend oriented. So I would suggest maybe going with more classic cuts, 
that are, are less likely to kind of go out of style. So at least you can have the garment for five, 10 years rather than a season or two. Because buying a capsule wardrobe every season, that's ridiculous. That's like so <laughs> expensive, right? And I, I don't want to... I don't want to promote that as the only way to go about that. It can be really, yeah. really simple. So we're going to move into the five questions that we always ask at the end of the Girl Tries Life interviews. Ooh. Do you have like a reel? You could do like a like oh, a, like like a, a slam reel. reel. Oh, I like should a, get like, one. Whatever it is, the question, and it's like, bam, 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 all these different people. That would be awesome. The juxtaposition would probably be really funny. Yeah. Like especially if somebody had like counter thoughts on it yeah. that'd be so awesome oh i should do that at the end of like the year kind yeah of yeah yeah best of so what is the best life advice or life lesson that you've ever had uh it was a former boss she was she was my mentor at the time and she told me do not let things lie so essentially what that means that was specific to client service so in that case it was if a client doesn't know where a project is if you cannot tell me that the client knows where a project is, you have some communication to do. Um, so you can use that in, in anything. If your partner, if your partner doesn't know where you're at, they need to know where you're at, right? Um, so I think it's, it's a really good piece of advice. And it also kind of makes you get up and do it, yeah. right? So, so say, if, say if the answer is, well, I don't know where I'm at because I'm waiting for these three things. Well, maybe you need to go follow up with those three things so that way you have a more definitive answer. Or you can say, I followed up with these three things. I'm waiting for responses back. So I'm a bit of a limbo. Yeah. You know, I think that was such thoughtful and widely useful advice. Absolutely. Yeah. Both personal and professional. Yeah. 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 What is the most inspiring book you've read in the last few years? Hands down, life changing book, 8020 Principle by Rick. Richard Koch, K-O-C-H. Okay. I'm not sure. Koch? I don't know. We'll, find, we'll, find we'll figure out. it out. So essentially it's taking the economics principle of 20% of your effort yields 80% results. So um, salespeople use the principle. Mm -hmm. Economists use the principle. But you can use it in your life as well. So um, What does that look like in life? Oh, it's good. Okay. So you can do it kind of, he kind of, if I'm remembering the book correctly, the first thing is kind of explaining the economics principle and showing it how it works in the business world. Yeah. Uh, the next chapter is how you can do it in terms of focusing your interests. And then the third part is how you can use it with your relationships. Ooh. So in the second part, it's talking about if you were to write down, you know, 20 things and you circled four of them that give you the most joy, focus your time there. Focus your time there and, if possible, create an entrepreneurship career by being a thought leader in one of those areas. If it's like eating pizza, I think he uses in the book, like you may not become like an entrepreneur who eats pizza. So maybe you put that in the hobbies pile. You could be an Instagram foodie blogger. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Um, so, so essentially what he's saying is fewer things are going to give you the most joy. So give yourself a break. Don't make yourself stretch too thin and do all of these things because you think you should focus on what makes you happy. And then those others say 80% if some of those things are need to do's like things like your taxes or, or laundry. If you can't, um, if you can't afford to outsource them, figure out a way to make it less terrible for you. So maybe your partner does the laundry because they don't mind it and you do something else in return. So it's about using that principle in your interests and in your life. And if possible, create a career around it. 
And then the third thing is like, this is one of the exercises in the book. It says, write down 20 people. The first 20 people that you love that you think of. Put stars or circle around your four and figure out how your time is spent. Are you giving those people 80% of your time? And those other people, while they can still be important, maybe you don't need to see them every two weeks. Maybe you can spread it out. And then who on the list did you forget? Because then you're like, oh, it's kind of a, a no-nonsense approach of figuring out what works. So a lot of criticism for the book is on that last chapter because it's pretty cutthroat. But for someone like me who's pretty like, I really value honesty. So for someone like me, it, it really makes me check myself and really yeah. makes it so obvious that the people that are top of mind are the people that are top of mind, right? It, so it's interesting that that was deemed cutthroat because when I, when I was going through postpartum depression, I went through a lot of counseling. And yeah. one of the things they had us do was like a relationship map. Oh, cool. And who in your life, like part of it was like, who did you spend the most time with? Who added value to your life and like left you feeling energized and happy and who did you have relationships with that were toxic and that kind of thing and it was very much focus that energy on the people that lift you up right and you know how can you either get rid of the toxicity or spend less time and focus and that kind of thing on them? sure so it was the same it's the same concept. thing yeah it's the same concept that's what i think about um when i um when i hear that that makes me feel really good and and, and validates it even if it's just for myself, that, yeah, that is a real thing. Because, you know, a therapist can come at that from a different angle, and it's still kind of the same baseline thing. Mm. Do more of what makes you feel good. Do less of what doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's kind of been the basis for a lot of, you know, I can't say the word, but don't give zero whims, we'll say, mm -hmm. about things, right? Like, it's the same kind of principle about... Um, not beating yourself up for things that you don't even care about. It's so silly. Yeah. Yeah, I love I'll that I'll have one. to check out the book. I love sure. it. I'll put the link in the show notes for our listeners. Okay, cool. So could you share with us your favorite quote and why? Ooh. So I <laughs> huh. my, I think, it's kind of two. There's kind of two that kind of stick out. The first one's from Amelia Earhart, badass, like her. So the most effective way to do it is to do it. I love that quote. So yep. I'm sure Nike maybe found inspiration from that or something. But True, yeah. <laughs> the straightforward rip off the band-aid and do it, I, I really appreciate that. And then the second one, I, I think it was a description of a character in a book. And I can't remember it, so forgive me on that. But the other one is it explains kind of who I am. And that's uh, she valued beautification in every aspect of her life. That's so great. beauty is everywhere. It isn't always, sometimes it's tragic. Sometimes it breaks your heart, but uh, I'm really, I'm really big on that. Mm -hmm. That's kind of a, a really big focus of mine. Yeah. Well, and it reminds me, I listen to Dear Sugar a lot and mm -hmm. I have a, I have a love on for Cheryl Strait and I think it was her mom who had said, there's a sunrise and a sunset every day and you have the choice to put yourself in the way of beauty. Cool. And I loved that because it's like, it's so I mean, good. like her mom had a pretty rough life as well. Yeah. And it's like, no matter what you're going through, you do have the ability to put yourself in front of beautiful things and right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And it, and there's going to be tougher days than, oh, yeah. than other ones. But yeah, that's, that's the one that kind of seems to stick out to me. Yeah. What are the things that get you fired up and excited? <sighs> oh man. 
when I see like a simple thing, when I see somebody well dressed in the mall or on the street and you just kind of give them a nod because maybe I, I try to give people compliments as much as it is without being uh, super pushy or something mm-hmm. like that. Like I'm happy to give someone a compliment. But if you see someone on the street and you kind of cross and you give the nod and they give you the nod back, like, you know, they look great and they know that they look great. I love that. I love that. So seeing any kind of little everyday great dress people it's it's super super cool when i look outside it's it's attempting to look like it's spring dare i knock on wood so (laughs) that's really encouraging too because i think um with season change brings kind of a renew with people so i think people are, are more keen to think about think about their closets and that kind of thing i'm hearing that filming in calgary so calgary being a destination for film and tv it's 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 getting better year over year so that's a lot of opportunity for you know, other costume designers or stylists or people wanting to come to the city and having jobs for that. So yeah. that's, that's really promising. Cause Fargo's filming here, isn't it? Yeah. So yeah. they did. And Ewan uh, McGregor, although he's bashing our weather. Yeah. He's around. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, for new projects, I'm getting into styling homes. So cool. a little bit of, um, say you're putting your house up for sale and you just need somebody to kind of shoosh things. Staging. And, yeah, yeah. It isn't, I wouldn't say full on staging, but kind of giving your house a little once over and, and kind of editing things down and kind of making it the most attractive. So hopefully your home can move a little quicker. And I think people just in general, for the most part, are a little bit, are thoughtful. We're like a really keen group of people for the most part. And I have to believe that even though there's a lot of really, really ugly stuff out there, I think for the most part, people are thoughtful. So if they're curious, if they're curious about clothing or personal image and that kind of thing, I think together we can get some really cool stuff done so I think that's really really good timing the economy is a little rough in Calgary right now um, but hopefully we're coming out of that and um, if it's kind of one of the things on the list I'm I'm excited to be here for them yeah yeah it's exciting yeah how about you what's your favorite book right now oh my favorite book right now I so I'm really enjoying I'm reading deep work by Cal Newport Mm. which is all about how to kind of free your mind from distraction oh. even just a few hours a day to get done the the work that is really meaningful and valuable to you 20. and it's fascinating because you know as I'm reading it I was distracted by like my uh you know text coming in on my phone and he's like this is exactly the problem is that there's this attention residue when you multitask or when you oh. move from one thing to another really quickly that your your brain doesn't stay with it so he really encourages multiple hours spent doing whatever that work is distraction free just to really focus and as someone who really wants to finish my books um you know that's really important but something I struggle with right now with uh, my little one but sure I think I think a lot of people can relate to that yeah um the idea that multitasking is awesome and then you realize you're not really getting anything done yeah Pretty much. But then my fav- one of my favorite books is um, The One Plus One by Jojo Moyes. Mm. She's just a fabulous writer. And uh, yeah, no, I love her work. What's getting me fired up and excited? I'm, yeah. re- like, I'm really enjoying the interviews for this podcast. Mm. Um, I've gotten to meet some incredible people. Some that I knew before, like you and I knew each other beforehand. And then some that I've never met before. I get really excited by the idea of showing women or I guess women listening to different kinds of role models, careers, perspectives, all of that out there. Because, you know, I, rem- I remember when 
Lean In came out with Cheryl, Stram- uh, Cheryl Sandberg. Mm-hmm. And I know I've said this in another interview, so I sound like a, a broken record. But the one, the problem I had with the book is that, and I recognize it's one perspective and it's showing one way, but I felt that not everyone wants to be a CEO. Not everyone wants to be a team leader. There are so many different... I felt that just it got so much hype and buzz for a while that the people that wanted to take a different path you were, were kind of looked down on or whatnot. You know, the stay-at-home moms that were happy and loved doing that. Yeah. You know, there was a little bit of... There was a little bit of backlash shaming and stuff from that from that book. So I really want to show people that there are so many different, interesting, fascinating ways to live your life. Sure. And these interviews have just been great for that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really, you know, itching, scratching my curiosity itch. So, hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I wonder if, because um, I've read some kind of um, similar female, focused female forward books, and I, yeah. I couldn't find myself in them too. So I think it's, um, it's the diversity. Well, of and thought. it's a little bit challenging. Yeah. You go, Hey, which one of these do I pick? And it doesn't say, you know, target CEO focused, leader focused or yeah. target entrepreneur on a different path, target mom. And, yeah. and it's not like it's that singular either. Yeah. You know, we can be multi hyphenate everything. And, um, you're going to want different things at different phases of your life, you know, as you should. Otherwise you're just like at 18, do you just stay that person? God, that would have been awful. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Sarah at 18. She was, she was fun. She was a mess. Good times. Yeah. Yeah. Well, my last question for you oh. is, what does it mean, Sarah, to you to live your best life? Oh, I liked this one. I like this question. So, I kind of, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm a bit of a rambler. So, the, so I think, I think when I'm thinking about living your best life, it's that, it's that, it's that idea that you had for yourself when you were a kid. So maybe it's when you were really little. Maybe it's when you were a teenager. So before education and jobs and friends and relationships and partners and, and, and family, all that kind of stressors that are, they fill up your life and, and all that. What did you as an individual see yourself as? So that super hard question, pie in the sky, you know, if money wasn't an option, what would you do? So I think living your best life is trying to get somewhere close to that or get somewhere back to that. And or that feeling. That feeling, yeah. yeah, that you can, that you have a choice of who you are and who you want to be and who you want to become. Especially, uh, that comes from a Caucasian female who's educated. I'm super, super privileged. So I want to use that privilege for good. I don't want to, I don't want to waste my shot because there's other folks out there that don't even get that choice. So it seems... It would seem incredibly foolish to me to waste it. So, yeah. so I'm gonna I'm gonna try my best to become you know 15 year old version of herself, Sarah, as an adult, not 15 year old Sarah. No thanks. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast, Sarah. Thank you. And uh, our listeners should definitely check out your Instagram feed. Uh-huh. We're also gonna link to your blog, but on Instagram, you're almost doing. Is it a different outfit every day? Yeah, I haven't worn the same thing twice. I want to say, I think it's it's coming up three years. Yeah. So since I started my, since I kind of went three years. live, I haven't worn the same combination. Keep in mind, it can be as simple as swapping out a pair of shoes, changing your earrings. But I don't think I've worn the same day outfit twice. 
That's epic. <laughs> yeah, and that was just more of a challenge for me. And it's doubled. It's kind of funny because there's sometimes when you have like a really good combo and you just really like it for whatever reason, you're like, ah, I only get to wear this once. So I, I perhaps will will um, become less rigid with it. But um, it's certainly giving myself a little bit of a, a zone to play in really actually enhances my creativity. Yeah. So um, that's just something I do for me. And um, if people get any kind of enjoyment out of some of the kooky combinations, cool. If it's not for you, I get it. I get it. You you got to do you. So. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So we'll link to that. But thank you again for being on the podcast. You're so, so welcome. And, and um, I'm not sure. Do you open questions up to people or anything like that after? Uh, they can definitely comment, comment or anything on like that. The post or on like when we share it on Facebook or whatnot. Sure. And if they have any follow up, I can uh, connect. Yeah, happy, happy to, to, I don't know what that question might be, but um, yeah, maybe like, what do you eat for breakfast, you crazy lunatic? <laughs> what do you eat for breakfast? What do I have for breakfast? Yeah. Uh, I am, I luckily have a partner who makes smoothies for us every morning. Oh my God, so I've been amazing. having a smoothie pretty, I would say four to five days of the work week um, because he travels and life happens sometimes, you have breakfast yeah. meetings, but I've been having that for like... I don't know, six years, five years. Nice. My, uh, if you, if you ever work in the morning with me, a lot of coworkers would laugh because it looks like a little bit like sludge because he's kind of got it down to a science and the dark berries with, with the green powder make yep. kind of an, a gnarly, a gnarly thing. But yeah, that's my go-to. Awesome. Weekends, you get eggs. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, Sarah. You bet. Wasn't that great? Sarah's just a whole lot of fun, and she has some really great commentary on what's going on in the world from her particular viewpoint and lens. It's just fascinating. So we talked, all the books that we talked about, quotes, etc., can be found in the show notes. I've linked to some of my favorite blog posts of hers, as well as her website, where you can find her Instagram page so you can follow her um, different outfits every day. It's always fun to see what Sarah's wearing and what she comes up with. Now, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please, I would really encourage you to head on over to iTunes and leave a rating and a review. It really helps others to find the podcast and it helps me to know what kind of material you're loving, what content you are digging and what we can make some changes to. Now, next week, we have an interview with the founder of Leftovers Calgary, uh, the Leftovers Foundation, Lourdes Juan. Not only is she the founder of a nonprofit, but she's also the founder of Soma Spa and Hive Consulting. So so as you can tell, she is a pretty busy woman and we dive right into that and in terms of where she got the motivation for her three different projects, basically three different organizations she runs, how she keeps it all together, how she balances it and what giving back in community and being a good citizen means to her. So Make sure you don't miss it. The best way to not miss it is to go to iTunes and subscribe to the Girl Tries Life podcast. I look forward to connecting with you guys next week. Remember, the difference between achieving your dreams and just dreaming about them is all in the action. So take some inspiration from Sarah's interview today and have a think about what action you can put into place this week. So I look forward to catching up with you next week. Take care. (laughs) 